the two things that I see really as my mission in the world is to change the materiality of architecture and design and to make us less toxic in our surrounding, which is very much coming from materials we live in. You know, there are people who are doing it in food or in other things or cosmetics. And uh, I mean, there's like this amazing companies like Honesty Company in California by Jessica Alba, you know, which became very famous. But for me, it's like to say, I want to, you know, bring transparency on what is happening in the built environment and how we in, in design that we surround ourselves can trigger disease. And we and, and this is where we do have a lot of knowledge and also my team, because we've dedicated so much time and really talking to experts that we know how we can create places that are definitely going to support health and well-being and and not going to you know just look nice but you know because we, we have to think about the invisible part of our life i'm david Kepron, and this is next level experience design Welcome to episode 60 of the Next Level Experience Design podcast. These dynamic dialogues are based on our acronym of data, design, architecture, technology, and the arts. They cross over disciplines but maintain a common thread of people who are passionate about the world we live in and humans' influence on it. The ways we craft our built environment to maximize human experience and increasing our understanding of human behavior and searching for the new possible. As usual, thanks go to VMSD Magazine and Smart Work Media. VMSD is the publisher of VMSD Magazine and brings us, in the brand experience world, the International Retail Design Conference. The IRDC is one of the best retail design conferences that there is, bringing together the world of retailers, brands, experienced placemakers, every year for two days of engaging conversations and pushing the discourse forward on what makes retailing relevant. You'll find an archive of the Next Level Experience Design podcast on vmsd.com. Thanks also go to Shop Association, the only global trade association dedicated to elevating the in-store experience. Shop Association represents companies and affiliates from 25 countries and brings value to their members through research, networking, education, events, and awards. You can check out more about Shop on shopassociation.org. In a minute, we'll dig into my discussion with Yasmin Mamoudje, architect and designer and tech entrepreneur who is internationally recognized for groundbreaking designs and an unwavering commitment to sustainability. But first, a few thoughts to set up our talk. I remember back in 2009 going to see the movie Avatar. The narrative followed a typical story of white man's colonization and subjugation of an indigenous peoples, this time on Pandora, a planet or moon light ways away from Earth because presumably we had succeeded in trashing our own planet and gone off to exploit the natural resources of another. There were multiple themes written into the script, but in principle it dealt with what I would characterize as corporate greed and the decimation of natural landscapes and indigenous peoples. The singular motivation to mining the planet's natural resources? Well, were the billions of dollars of revenue that a large corporation who was mining a natural resource called unobtainium. Naturally, the corporation militarized their operations under the guise that the 10-foot-tall, blue-skinned, sapient humanoid indigenous peoples called the Navi, as well as the flora and fauna on Pandora, were all lethal. 
I suppose this is just another retelling of big bad corporations exercising their power over helpless people by flexing their military muscle with some sociopathic leaders with a bent for murderous behavior. But then, adding insult to injury, there was the denial of science in the movie and the well-intentioned initiatives of creating avatars of the Navi where humans could transfer consciousness into alien bodies that were cultivated in an enormous incubation chamber that would then animate and go out among the native beings and infiltrate their community with the intention of learning more about them. Notwithstanding the retelling of a story that we all kind of sort of know, James Cameron, the director, brought the theater-going public a compelling visualization of a planet in an imaginary, verdant jungle-like environment. On the big screen of the movie theater, it was impressive and hyper-realistic. I'd say that for a while, Avatar was a superb example of the use of computer-generated imagery that brought viewers into the experience of a distant world. Okay, so as not to get bogged down in the nasty, self-serving humans part of the story, one of the key features of this world was something called Home Tree, which, by the way, humans eventually destroyed as well. Okay, sorry, I had to add that in. Uh, but Home Tree, and all the other trees for that matter, created an ecosystem, an integrated network that was connected underground. And for the Navi people, Iwa was the living deity, but not in the physical form that humans would have expected. Iwa was a biological sentient guiding force of life that was physicalized through a network of plants and trees and other wildlife that stretched across Pandora. Iwa acted to maintain equilibrium among all things. Now, the obvious connections to be drawn here is the idea that our Earth is a massive ecosystem and there is an urgent need for our collective understanding that everything in this ecosystem works as a complex set of interdependencies. Everything is connected to everything. Our life energy is intimately intertwined into the planet's natural resources. We are from the Earth, though I believe, that many of us often see ourselves as being separated from it. It seems that more and more I'm having these conversations with people where one of the things we end up returning to is sustainability. What the building industry is doing in negative ways to the environment and by consequence us, both emotionally and physically. Most of these conversations encompass straight up building practices like what materials and finishes do in terms of their CO2 contribution to the planet when we build things, virtually anything, or manufacture or bring to market products, goods and services. I think it's pretty well understood that the building industry is a large contributor to the global climate crisis. And that's not a good thing for the environment, and by extension, not a good thing for us. And what the effect of the building typologies has to do with our emotional well-being, the field called neuroaesthetics, and how the built environment affects us at a mind-body level. The sea of sameness and a building stock of overwhelming banality can actually undermine our sense of well-being. We are born experience expectant, and our brains love novelty. Simply put, the brain isn't fond of being bored. And yet, many of our urban environments are completely monotonous. So, not only is the building industry responsible for about 40% of the CO2 that we're pumping into the atmosphere, contributing to the global climate problem, the buildings we're putting into the environment are, from the neuroaesthetics point of view, often not contributing to our sense of well-being since they are often creating city blocks that are mundane. And this is where my guest Yasmin Memujay enters the scene. 
Her work has earned her numerous international design awards, including the prestigious Global Sustainability Award in 2022 for her contributions to architecture and design and hospitality. Yasmin's had an illustrious career as an educator spanning institutions and serving as a visiting professor at renowned establishments such as the EHL, Hotel School, and Institut Paul Bocuse, where she has shared her insights and knowledge, inspiring emerging talents in the field. Mamoujet seamlessly integrates modern technologies with traditional design principles, crafting captivating and immersive spaces that engage all of the senses. With an unwavering passion for harmonizing functionality, aesthetics, and sustainability, Mamoujet continues to shape the future of architecture and design with her profound influence and visionary approach. So why the whole description of the Avatar movie and the underground connections between trees and other forest plants? Because that idea directly aligns with the emerging use of something called mycelium. What is mycelium? Mycelium is a tubular thread-like cells that spread through the soil underground and connect the roots of plants to one another. It's like the Earth's natural internet. Everything is connected. Why would understanding the potential use of mycelium as a building material be important? Well, for one, it's a naturally occurring substance, and research suggests that it has a positive effect on enhancing immune strength. As a prominent global ambassador for the eco-conscious practices, Yasmin Mamouje pioneers sustainable construction techniques utilizing recycled plastics through 3D printing and exploring mycelium as a substitute for traditional building materials. The Navi and Iwa had something going on here, and humans just bulldozed it in search of a rock under the ground, which is a tragic and familiar story that we all know. But I think the more that we turn to ancient indigenous traditions and understand them and perhaps augment them with modern science, the more we may find solutions to some of the more profound eco-challenges that we all now face. So talking to someone like Yasmin Mamouje was refreshing because I discovered that there are people who are at the forefront of using these ancient technologies and discovering ways to find elements in the environment that can be repurposed, augmented through technology to change the way we build our world and potentially offset some of the deleterious effects that our building environment has on the global ecosystem that we are intimately connected to and rely on for our very existence. And with that, I welcome Yasmin Mamoutier to the Next Level Experience Design podcast. Hello from Milan. I think I finally caught up with you in Milan, isn't it? Yes, that's exactly, yeah. Very nice to see you all, David. Getting hold of you throughout this, this past few months has been difficult since we last had our connection at the uh, Guest Lab event in Milan, which was amazing. And um, I won't soon forget two things about that show. Standing on the rooftop of the art museum um, having cocktails and drinks, which was kind of nice looking out over the city of Milan, which was amazing. And the mm -hmm. second one was going and sitting in your session, which was equally amazing because I think you you poured through the power of sustainable design in the world of hospitality in a way that kept me captivated and like you didn't want to breathe because you were likely <laughs> to miss the next major invention. And you know, I was what I hope to do um, today for our listeners is I'd love to talk about 
those things that you were talking about in in your session on on sustainable design practice and how that's influencing the design of hospitality and retail and uh, other brand experience places for starters. But let's maybe sort of take a step backwards if we can and say, I, I've, I'm a lead certified architect. I've been sort of in that headspace for a long time. But how did that, how did you get into that world? What was it about the world of sustainability that really, you know, sort of drove you to sort of focus? I think your work focuses in, in that area. What was it that sort of turned the corner for you? Well, uh, it has been actually always part of my life, to be honest. I mean, even in architecture and design, I have accumulated over 300 plus materials uh, that are recycled or organic over the last few dec decades. So it's not, I mean, sustainability, as you know, is not a very big thing and everybody's using the word, it's overused and it's a, we have to invent almost something new <laughs> to replace it. But well, uh, it's sustainability, been, you said. Sustainability yes, yeah, is, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's like it's used by everybody. It, it's almost you, you cannot use it. You know, you have to have it in your logo and in your kind of banner or whatever it is. Uh, for me, it was always, uh, I was always interested to, you know, think outside the box. And I've always been, um, well, I've been raised really a lot with alternative medicine not just mm -hmm. relying on pills and, you know, taking all this medication. And to me, it's kind of the, it's the whole lifestyle to think about we're coming from nature, we are part of nature, and what is, you know, what is damaging to us. And everything that's damaging to us is from pollution, which is now becoming obviously a huge problem globally, and uh, to the materials we surround ourselves with, where there's very little knowledge, uh, by the way, in general, and it's still not really coming up to the surface. Uh, plus the you know plus cosmetics, uh, the food we eat, all that plays a role. So you know, as a in my profession, I've always been interested in in finding materials that are coming either from nature that are natural, organic, or that have been recycled. And I think the recycle part is very important because we are producing a lot of waste and a lot of material which is harmful to our planet. But it's been it's been a long journey. This interesting thing about recycling, and I remember, um, and I've probably told this story a number of times on the podcast before, when I was at Marriott, uh, our chief engineer, uh, Terry Smith, a longtime Marriott employee, but also very concerned about the whole idea of recycling plastic. And as you know, uh, it's a great amenity to give people two bottles of water when they arrive at their hotel rooms, certainly for international travels who are likely dehydrated. I think we actually all walk around dehydrated most of the time anyway, and just don't know it. And Terry was saying, if look, count up the number of hotel rooms in a singular hotel, let's say 250 plus or minus rooms, count the 8,000 Marriott properties plus or minus that they have. And Marriott, by the way, is not you know singularly responsible for the production of, of water bottles going into the environment. All the hotels do it, although some I think are you know now changing their practices. But one of the things he said was, you know, if you count up the number of water bottles that the hotel industry puts into the landfill, because we'd love to assume that everything's being recycled, but actually a very small proportion of it is being recycled. And therefore, we have the Great Pacific Ar uh, Garbage Patch, which is like the size of Texas, a floating island of junk, uh, plastic in the Pacific Ocean. But it's a huge problem for the hotel industry. Uh, and and it, it didn't really ever occur to me before. I thought it was great to have the water, but it didn't occur to me where those water bottles actually go. Well, I think uh, actually, it's in every industry the same. Nobody really thought about, you know, we're living a very convenient life. And we all have our comfort. And it's very hard to give up on you know, your comfort zone and mm -hmm. what is kind of a status quo. 
But I think it's uh, when you really dig deeper and understand, like you were just saying, I think it's le uh, less than, it's around 5% of plastic that gets recycled, which leaves us with 95% of plastics, which is really um, quite frightening. Mm. And I mean, we all know about microplastic, micro, uh, which is going into the ocean, which is going everywhere, which is already in our body. We all have plastic in our body. And, you know, everything is connected. If you look at all the disease, all the, you know, I mean, on one hand, science has brought us very far and, you know, we live longer and potentially, but on the other hand, we are also creating much more, you know, toxins that's yeah. going to affect us. And, you know, I, I think we talked about it. I'm working on a sustainable luxury hotel brand myself, which I'm calling material wellness, because I think that's what it is, a wellness concept has to also go into the materiality. And this is where there's a lot of lack of uh, knowledge and kind of ignorance, I have to say, um, mm. where what we can do, there's so many things we can do. And uh, this is where, you know, my, my mission in my talks around the world and, and my work or exhibitions is really to change that status quo and to, to kind of give us also a vision that there's hope we can do something. It's not we are paralyzed. We, we definitely can do something, but we have to, understand first that there is a urgency which i think we all kind of know but we're not acting on it and i i, I don't also like to be somebody you know going to uh, create a lot of fear in the world mm. saying it's all like you said of course you know it's this landfill is all over but let's just pragmatically think about what we can do and if we do it in in masses we can also reverse you know very bad effects on the environment and i think that's what I find is, is a very important part of being an architect and designer today. It's interesting because I had um, Bruce Mao, uh, the great Canadian designer on the show, and, and he's, he has now his, I guess his office or is called the Massive Change Network, evolving out of a, a huge uh, exhibit that he did a number of years ago, a Massive Change. But one of the things that he focuses on now uh, is, yes, that sense of urgency, but also moving away from the idea that we should talk about human-centric design and start talking about life-centric design. So yeah. it's not just what is designed that'll be good for us humans and to maintain our health and wellness, but we got to start looking at the planet as a whole ecosystem of interconnected lives, whether it's plant life or human life or animal life, um, that all are reliant on the other um, to, to get, you know, to allow this planet to continue. And I, I, I'm curious about your point of view on this idea of life-centric design. No, I think it's, it's absolutely, he's totally right. It's, Everything is interconnected. Like I said, that's why, you know, you cannot uh, disconnect health and, and food, what we eat with what we're exposed to. So I think it's, it's really understanding that all this is a mixture of something that's going to, you know, come into our body, into our system and is going to give us disease in, in some mm -hmm. way. And we're always looking at, you know, nobody's going to the symptoms and they're always repair. It's like repair work. You know, you see something's happening and you, you get pills for everything, and it's the same in the environment. You just make it disappear to our eyes. It's it's still there, you know. And and it's also quite horrible knowing that you give a lot of that plastic uh, landfill to countries like third world countries, you know, who are getting a lot of money paid, which they need for their economies. Sure. But they are, you know, they are destroying their own uh, ecosystem. And I think it's uh, it's something that has to be discussed more. It has to be shown more. And obviously, exhibitions like that you, you know, like Design Miami, where I was in Basel last mm -hmm. year, displayed is, is a way of showing to the world what are the alternatives, what can we really do. 
and it's also beautiful. I mean, we are we are in a field where aesthetics are very important, and I mean, we you know we want to make the world also a, a pleasant place and a beautiful place to live in, because that again has a lot of you know uh, effect on our psyche. But uh, at the same time, we have to understand that we have to do things differently. We can't just do continue like we have been living in the last you know. The last decades. Well, and and the speed that at which we are exponentially changing the world around us is also unrelenting. Um, I've always been interested in this idea of material science, and, and maybe because I grew up with my father. Um, he didn't make us watch Star Trek, but you know, um, it became sort of the thing that we <laughs> yeah. did. Um, but so I've always been fascinated with different materials, and and I remember going to uh, another lecture in in Venice actually a couple of years ago, and there was a, a chemist, a scientist who was talking about nanotechnology and the kinds of things that we could do. But your world, as I understood it, and I was most fascinated with this idea of mycelium. Yes. I've seen Avatar, and I know that trees are connected to each other under the earth and and they have this network of roots and mycelium that connects them but uh, who knew that mycelium um, would be a building material for starters and actually you've turned it into some really amazing uh, amazing things furniture and fixtures and lights and all these kinds of things so tell us more about what that is for those who don't know what mycelium is and then what you think the long-range use case is for something like that as an alternative to anything that is yes. let's say non-sustainable well, uh, mycelium is, uh, you know, something I discovered three, four years ago. And I mean, within, as I told you, our big collection of materials, this was the one that really, you know, popped out to me. And I said, oh, right, this is absolutely amazing. It is a root system of trees. It's, you know, it's a, as old as trees. It's like fungus is one of the oldest, you know, living organism, microorganism in, in our, you know, in our life, in our universe. And it takes away the CO2. It's actually, it's the nutrition to all underneath the earth, the tree. They call it the internet of nature. You know, that's what it's kind of called. And the amazing thing is that it's been, there's been some people around the world, very few that I uh, kind of reached out to who have been working with mycelium. So the first, uh, you know, use case of mycelium that's really super interesting is in, uh, in a replacement for animal leather. So there is a, you know, there's a company out of San Francisco who has been working on this for over 10 years, who was actually an, originally an artist um, who started this company. And they can, uh, they can completely replace animal leather by mycelium. And the beauty of mycelium is, you know, you can uh, cultivate it uh, on trays. You can, you don't need to export somewhere. You can, if you have a factory, you can have it next door practically. You can, you know, you can genetically manipulate it. So you can have, in terms of leather, you can have it more like soft leather or hard leather. So it's absolutely fascinating and it's growing, but you can stop the growing process. So practically you can mold it. Uh, it has acoustic qualities, which is absolutely amazing. So it is a replacement for leather. It's a replacement for plastic and styrofoam. So there's a very famous company in America and entrepreneur even buyer who started, uh, you know, the company called Evocative, where you actually, he created these huge factories, which are replacing styrofoam and plastic for packaging. And in big scale, I mean, he, he raised a lot of funding. Wow. So there, this is the two cases that are now quite uh, evident. When what I found very interesting is to go into architecture and design and change the building industry. That's my vision. So I'm really fascinated beyond a few artists, you know, a few 
kind of products that popped up around mm -hmm. the world mm -hmm. to really make it uh, mainstream. And so uh, I'm working on on a startup for Mycelium, which you know I can't do too much about uh, talk about it, but it will be started by the end of this year, beginning of next year. And the idea is really to to go beyond what it's already doing. So it's already Uh, you know, we have been doing uh, all these tests with lighting, with furniture, uh, with acoustic materials, you know, inside of spaces. But my goal is to see if we can go beyond and make it even more sturdy because mycelium is always mixed with bioplastics. So it's, it's it still needs a lot of research. We are now in touch with a mycologist. Something like this exists, like experts on it, to join us uh, and to be the one helping us to find maybe a formula that is going to innovate even more uh, in the construction industry. Uh, it was funny because, you know, I, I had an exhibition about my recycled uh, furniture in Venice and mm -hmm. was at the, doing the Architecture Biennale, uh, the opening, uh, which is our newest, like, you know, products, which is uh, quite uh, nice and which I'm using now, uh, you know, for hotels, for any kind of projects. Uh, it's, it's a table or stool you can You can kind of, uh, you know, turn it in all four sides are usable. Two are like a table and two are like a chair. And you can put it together, it becomes a bench. So it's a really versatile element. Again, all from recycled plastic 3D printed. But we are working on the new mycelium furniture at the moment. And it was very amazing to see that the Belgian pavilion during the Biennale has dedicated the whole pavilion to mycelium, which, you know, was a big surprise to me because I wasn't... Uh, expecting this, you know, I didn't have any, uh, you know, any expectation of the pavilions and it's actually recommended as one of the best ones. And I think what is quite amazing is that uh, there is now becoming an awareness that there is something that can be used in fashion because fashion is the first one where it's kind of entering and mm. packaging. But um, we need to, you know, and, and to be honest, my cellum is my favorite, but there's other ones. We have other materials that they clean the air, they're antibacterial, anti-odor, Uh, they can take the CO2 away. There's paint already that takes pollution away. So I'm I'm very interested in general to look into chemical companies also mm -hmm. to see how they can help us, you know, in some but natural processes to make materials more than just beautiful. But this was always my uh, objective in my work to have something that is doing something more than just looking nice or being trendy or, you know, it's, it, it's not enough. I think we have to look for things beyond that. You know, it's interesting as you say that, um, I remember, uh, from your presentation, the chair you had, you designed the chair and, and, and now was that a mycelium chair or? And uh, no, the chair was all recycled plastic. Recycled plastics. But so, we are, we have done now a little, uh, prototype of a mycelium chair. So, so, I, you know, I use a chair, well, for sitting on and also for changing the light bulb in my ceiling and standing on and a number of other things uh, that, you know, one can use a chair for. So it has a certain strength quality to it. Aside from the beauty piece um, or the design of chairs, which seems to always be one of those first year design exercises you get when you're in architecture school to design a chair. But what about mycelium in terms of its strength, its... Um, It's sort of resiliency to the elements and those kinds of things. I mean, can we can there literally be a a trade for using mycelium for other things and, and actually make them like a uh, a standard go to type of product for the building industry? Or is that the, is that a long way off? 
it's I don't think it's a long way off. It's still not there. And we don't have yet the right combination to make it totally sturdy. I mean, mm. my dream would be to replace concrete, you know, because concrete is I don't know if you know, but concrete is responsible for 8% of CO2 in the world. Yeah. I mean, that's that's yeah. quite huge. You know, I mean, for the construction industry, 40% and 40%, just concrete I know. Yeah, uh, is 8%. But uh, it is the, the, it's really the you can already today because you can connect, you, know, you can mix it with corn, with hemp with residues. Okay. So depending on what you mix it, you can make it softer or you can make it stronger. That already exists today. So we are working on trying to get the, you know, the strongest way of mycelium. But it is still not yet there to replace very sturdy building materials, but definitely in the, you know, already in the decorative area and also in, in, in furniture, in lighting, it can be it can be integrated. There are very few people who know how to you know to use it because it does have some challenges because it's an organic uh, material. Mm -hmm. But um, this is where we have spent a lot of research and time into to you know to to kind of progress into the right direction. If we only pay attention to Mother Nature, she'll teach us a lot of things. I think right? absolutely. You know, absolutely. It's, it's, I, I and it's, it just will sound like a strange thing, maybe, but you know, I look at uh, the bug that crawls up the side of the wall, and I'm you know the the paint wall, and so I'm thinking that's just the coolest thing ever or the feet of geckos that allow them to climb yeah. up these these vertical surfaces and and at a microscopic level if we pay closer attention you know it's kind of like the discovery of velcro I, you know um similarities between the animal mother nature kingdom and the world of the built environment if we paid attention closer we might find some remarkable things that are useful like velcro replacing shoelaces which are you know for a kid learning how to do it's, yes. it's a way easier to tie a shoe with velcro strap than it is shoelaces for my well my sons when they were tiny but they've gotten over that note they can tie their shoes uh well you know it, it has a lot of other uh, effects if you think that we all know that cattles and cows you know are very bad in agriculture and yeah. actually there, there's already not enough supply of animal leather for the fashion for the luxury fashion industry so That's right. it is it is it is really fascinating to see that this could be completely replaced and we don't need any animal leather for leather and there's you know there's brands in la in california that have already shoes coming out of uh, you know mycelium mm -hmm. or other materials i mean we also use cactus and rhubarb and the, the skin of apple so i mean like i said there's so many and there are also you know from uh, pineapple there's a very interesting product of out of pineapple so there's so much that is uh, available it is always uh, a matter of doing your research, you know, of really taking time and saying we don't need to do it. It's obviously easier to do things the way they are, but that's not good for the environment. And, you know, I, I don't think it's very satisfying for a creative architect either to do that. Well, it, no, it is fascinating. And, and um, you just mentioned the idea of pineapple, and I want to transition because, you know, pineapples and travel have a, a sort of a, a connection, a significance of, of welcoming and things like that. And and I'm, I'm thinking about your work, at least where I think we first came in contact was a number of years ago when I was at Marriott and we somehow got yes. connected through a conference. What do you see as the relationship between this kind of thinking and design and uh, let's say the travel industry in what you're doing in the work that you're doing, you're talking about a sustainable uh, hotel uh, is the, is the expectation for 
guest experiences verging towards those that are increasingly more sustainable and the whole conceptual direction of the hotel is driven around that? Um, do you see that sustainable travel as an industry um, is something that is a, a go forward and can, continues to gain sort of prominence in guest choices about where they want to go and why they want to go there? What, what's your thought on that? Well, I was recently in London at an event where there was a lady who was doing all this research in luxury hospitality and really analyzing what is a, you know, what is a travel looking in 2022, 23 and the future. And it's mind blowing how it has shifted and how sustainability is one of the, usually, you know, it, I mean, in the luxury travel, it's never been price. It's more in the, you know, mid sector and low sector, mm -hmm. but it's never been on top and now sustainability is like one of the top uh, elements and so there is a if you if you ask experts who have done you know a lot of research in the travel industry they're all coming back with the same results saying that sustainability is one of the top elements expected by travelers it's something they want it gives them more peace of mind they feel more comfortable they would prefer a property that is sustainable that really takes it seriously to another one so there's a which is great, you know, because the consumer is becoming aware of it. And it's the pressure also when you know that you're, the, you know, the persons you're going to serve are the ones who are actually the one interested in kind of trying to push the industry to go towards it. And I think the hotel industry has still a long way to go, but they, they will have uh, to adapt. And I think it's uh, an opportunity to also, you know, to really understand the serving of a hospitality. I mean, you're there to serve your customer, your guests, and serving means also to think about the health of, you know, and we've seen it during the pandemic, how everything was totally collapsing and to see if, who was really interested to continue a dialogue with your customers and, and maybe showing them how they can boost their immune system through their, you know, through their health practitioners were like all on Zoom and helping in, in some other creative ways. And I think it's, you know, we, we can never be sure of what else can happen in the world. As we know, I think at least, I think we, we all have to be a very careful understanding that, you know, there, there, this is one pandemic, but we don't know if there's something else, if the ice is melting and there's more bacteria coming out, you know, in, in the Arctic, uh, we, we have no idea what that could cause to humanity. So it's better to anticipate. And I think we had had a shock from our lifetime, I guess mm -hmm. the biggest shock in our lifetime. And I think it's, uh, we, we have on one hand, it's good. We have a short term memory because it's our survival and we have to forget, you know, and we, if, if you think about life is back in hospitality, we travel more than ever, uh, everything. But I think at the same time, it's a bit of a, you know, has to be in the head or in the back of your head as a warning signal to say, you know, let's not wait for a catastrophe to happen again, to act and, and be a bit more cautious and, 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 you know, foresee the future and see what we can do. I do also believe very much, and this is why I'm very interested in 3D printing, as one element that technology can also save us. I really have a lot of hope into technology and also into AI, because, you know, AI is a whole different subject we could talk about, but, the, the, you know, there, there's always uh, the positive and the negative of it. But I think that there will be, you know, I can foresee that there will be something or materials or something created that can maybe go against all the pollution, all the CO2 that we have that are very threatening to our environment. So I, I, I think technology combined with creativity and, you know, is, is the, what we need in our world.
I agree. I'm thinking now about the results of the pandemic. Um, for many people, I know this is true. We all hit the pause button, and and I also know that the lack of you know smog in in, in a lot of urban areas was decreased because people weren't driving their cars to work anymore, yeah. and the Venice canals were clear for the first time. I don't know in ever yeah. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Um, and having been to Venice and love the city, um, it is true you can't see the bottom of the canal, but you could during the height of the pandemic yes. because there was no pollution being dumped into them, uh, which sort of brings us in a, a circuitous way to metamorphosis, the installation. Talk to me about you know how it how you believe it merged the world of art and architecture and sustainability and and um, how you think maybe that those the intersections of those things um, are going to influence where we go in a future state and then I'll come to AI because I'm also very curious about AI and and the world of the the future that is data driven. Well, my my whole uh, experiment or interest started uh, when we we did Floniversum, which was the big exhibition at the Design Miami in, in Basel last year, where the whole idea was to have this huge ocean wave, which was all 3D printed in big pieces from a robotic company in Germany, where it would have a metamorphosis to, you know, to create these beautiful objects like vases, uh, the flow chair, which is the chair that, you know, you talked about, which got many awards and which is totally 3D printed from recycled plastic. And then also to show the architecture elements, which we can actually apply in architecture, I mean, we are, we offered to do a beach pavilion in Athens, which is also a bit delayed now because of the pandemic. But it's the idea to show that we can build with it. We can do from, you know, from interiors, reception desks to, I don't know, you know, to bars to, to really exterior uh, of buildings. To houses and now, when we 3D print houses with concrete. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And and it's really taking care of, because you take get rid of a lot of that plastic that otherwise would uh, end in landfill. And then if you don't like something, it's totally circular economy. You can take it back and you reprint it. So there's no waste. That's the beauty also of 3D printing. Then the idea of mycelium in my, you know, in my whole installation of metamorphosis is uh, the idea to say we... We don't, we shouldn't actually produce more plastic. We should just take care of what we have and reuse it so it's not going into all the landfill, but we should replace it. And mycelium can be seriously replacing plastic in, in the near future, not just in the, you know, in the faraway future. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where it becomes really interesting to see how we can come up with solutions that are really exciting, that are beautiful. We, and that have so many physical qualities uh, that, you know, mycelium has from the, once I told you, I mean, we have so many restaurants that have a lot of noise that you can't even talk. So I really foresee it like going into acoustic paneling, mm -hmm. uh, into many different solutions, uh, you know, uh, in, in like, like I mentioned before. And this is for me the metamorphosis. So to, to show that we can start where we already can do changes and then hopefully we, with the research that we are doing, we can expand it and do more replacement in architecture. I mean, if you went to the Belgian pavilion, some of the utopia there was to say, maybe we have a house in the future that grows and we stop the growth and we can, you know, because mycelium is growing until you stop the growth through a certain heat that you use mm -hmm. uh, to stop the process. So uh, it is just to kind of push our mind and push our, you know, kind of our, also our, uh, our tradition of how we build to say that there are, exciting things that are showing up uh, in nature and let's just you know let's use them let's research it and let's come up with uh, alternative ideas uh, in order to change the 
the status quo of how we built. So I'm curious about that, the idea of status quo. And, and uh, I, I think it's the death knell for you know most innovation and creativity is that people default to the status quo. Oh, we've never done that before. Oh, this is the way we've always done this. Hey, you know, it's just easier. It's more efficient. Well, okay. So it's maybe it costs a lot more money and it you know drives sort of innovation and creativity out of the equation because no one's thinking about the next thing. But I, I'm curious whether or not you find resistance to the idea of innovation, the idea of bringing, and I'm, I'm using air quotes so people can't actually see me doing this, but you know, the, the crazy idea, what? We want to use fungus to grow, to make things in shapes and forms and, and, and building products. Do you find there's a resistance to that? Or do you find that people in, in your experience are interested in going, oh, tell me more. That sounds really interesting. Well, I, I have to say that, you know, in, in, in at least in the encounters I have, uh, it has a lot of interest and curiosity about mm -hmm. it uh, i mean i think in the, the the one thing that's a bit sad is if you then talk to you know investors or developers of hotel brands but not you know the ones who have uh, to who, who kind of have a lot of pressure to deliver to their shareholders or whatever although it has actually nothing to do with cost to be honest but it's just a perception it's easier to just go with things and so there's on one hand there's this interest oh yeah it sounds really amazing but you know, we can't really do it because we are blah, 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 blah. So it, it's, it's coming back to the, you know, to the old traditional way. This is so, I mean, I'm myself really more interested to work with companies or investors who are understanding that this is an amazing opportunity. Yeah. Uh, the cost is never a problem because you can always, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really believe that there's always a way because, you know, when you have a budget, as you know, you've been, so long with Marriott, you can always divide the budget into areas where there's a lot of repetition, which, which doesn't cost so much, but then sure. you have some highlights and they are like, you know, they are the key uh, highlights, which attract also the customer to your hospitality. And it's also the telling the story. I think the story is so beautiful to say that we have no materials that are really good for us. Even, I mean, you can even eat it. I don't know if you know, it's more, mycelium is more healthy than soy, uh, you know, and soybeans, which is a huge alternative to meet, you know, a market in the world, which we know through the genetic influences and also the way it's, you know, cultivated, it's not always the best uh, alternative to meat, but, uh, but actually mycelium can be, uh, there's a company in America, uh, it's called, I think, Atlas Food that started heavily to uh, produce uh, alternative meat with mycelium. That. So it's, uh, it's, you know, this is what blew my mind when I said there's a material that we can build with, we can wear it, and we can eat it. <laughs> and you can and eat it. And if you could put chocolate around it somehow, that would be excellent. We just yes. <laughs> figure out a way to do that. You yes. know, it's, it, in talking about the Metamorphosis exhibition in Venice, it's interesting. And I've always been interested in in the contextual relationship of the thing we bring as architects and designers to the world within the context that it then lives in. So Venice is full of water. Um, and, and so there, there must have been some interesting relationship between Venice, the city of canals, um, and its relationship to water and the location, the idea that the exhibition was a wave and a metamorphosis of a wave. So what's what was the connection for you? Did you did you literally and did you purposely draw on that metaphor of water and the context to be able to? Yes, absolutely. Of... I mean, this is what started uh, already in Basel with the idea of Flowniversum, flow of life, flow of the universe you know that's kind of we are 70 percent water so it's you know when you think about organic uh, and 
you think about life, you think about water. So, I mean, necessarily we can't live without water. And uh, to to uh, to think and then to see, I've seen so many documentaries when you see, which is quite horrible, or all you know all the the kind of water bottles every plastic being dumped into the sea. And not only this, I mean, I've been in a beautiful location in Greece last year on an island, and I went with this friends and we were diving and we were accumulating this plastic in like, you know, in half an hour that you don't see in the most beautiful island where you, it looks really untouched. Mm -hmm. And that's quite, that's quite something, you know, so you take this out and we kind of, everywhere we were, we kind of started cleaning up a bit, you know, the, the beaches and even talk to the luxury hotels, you know, there's a, there's a, very nice hotel in Antiparos uh, to the owner and saying, well, can you not send somebody maybe because it's in front of your hotel where we have found a lot of this stuff. So to, to kind of get them involved into it. So this is the reality of, of it. But that's always, you know, when you have a problem, I think we are always problem solvers. That's how I see my, you know, my work, my profession. So you have a problem and then you, you would think that Venice is the same. You know, there's there's been so much dumped into the sea because, you know, a lot of people, I mean, it's, it's becoming better, but they always think that, you know, the, the universe is a, is a public bin or something where you just dump your stuff in. And it's, you know, it comes back to us in some way. So I think this, this kind of juxtaposition with a city uh, that's in, you know, really on water and is, mm. is dependent on water actually for its survival and uh, that there's nothing going to happen majorly, you know. And uh, at the same time, something that is like uh, coming from nature, which is everywhere in the world, you know, we, we can find mycelium everywhere in the world. So the nice thing is we can cultivate it everywhere. And there's also, I mean, into the future, there's also really an interest uh, by the sustainability uh, society in, in Venice, which is a newly formed organization. Um, and, you know, I was talking to the head of them and he said to me, well, this is so interesting, maybe you can even think about cultivating mycelium here in Venice, we could get you a grant or something, you know, to have it uh, being uh, cultivated there. I think the other thing that's really important is uh, it's the locality. You know, it's like if you can create something, that's the same thing with the 3D printing. I can now, you know, we're looking for uh, partners all over the world that can do the 3D printing so we can literally send a file and I'm not going to send something I had a request now in Seattle, America, to send my chairs. And I'm now not sending it. I'm trying to find someone in vicinity that I can work with mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and have it printed there and then be delivered to, to, you know, to somebody who's interested. So it's also the same thing with mycelium. The, the beauty of it that you can cultivate it anywhere in the world, uh, right. you know, and uh, it, it, it doesn't need to be in a certain location where it all has to be, you know, imported. This is the, the finding something that is local that you can locally grow, and in the same time also in general. I think you know we have to think more in being global, but but uh, the locality is is a very important part of hospitality too. And I think you know there's some luxury brands that absolutely understand that this is not the way to yeah, go. That's for sure. I mean, well. Uh, six senses, you know, as an example um, of a brand who understands the sustainability push, and not just the only one. There are a lot of others, but um, you know, it's this is the value, or this was, I think, the promise of three D printing. I remember when it was emerging onto the market, maybe ten plus years ago. Uh, little pop up shops were happening in New York, you know, that you could go in and you could see three D printing. But the idea was, oh my gosh, if if we if we have a three D printer, we yeah. we can just 
get everyone will have one at home. They'll print their clothes, yeah. they'll print their shoes, they'll print yeah, future, their, they'll yeah. print their their food, they'll print everything. Adoption's been slower, although I think um, in the building industry it's, it is fascinating. You see these large concrete printers that can literally print, you know, a, a small yeah. house, which is extraordinary. But it does speak to the future influence of technology on building and you're connected to the laboratory of the future which is super interesting what does it do where is it what's its purpose and like what's its hope for the future in terms of what it generates the laboratory of the future was actually the theme for this year's biennale in venice they always have a theme so for this architecture biennale the official program was called the laboratory of the future so for me, that's exactly what I was, uh, you know, trying to express with the laboratory of the future to say, we, it, this, all this research on this new material, it's a laboratory. It's a laboratory into the future to kind of come up with solutions that haven't been used yet. And that will show us a new way, you know, to surround ourselves with, to have the materials that are uh, around us. And I really have to stress the point that uh, there's very little knowledge on how toxic a lot of materials are that we are, you know, surrounded with. I mean, you know, formaldehyde is in MDF in many materials. It's in schools. There's so many allergies of children today. I mean, I had, I don't know if uh, maybe this is another subject you, I talked to you about. I, I, start, uh, I launched um, in 2020, unfortunately, just before the pandemic, during the IMM in Cologne, the furniture fair, mm. um, the Maikitsi Playground for Hotels, which right. was an idea of everything I designed was sustainable. We had the skin of the apple. We had materials that were cleaning the air. We had Himalaya salt salt uh, lights, which were actually against uh, asthma. And, you know, when, when this gets kind of triggered through heat, it would give you like, like a healing kind of almost, you know, scent for children with asthma. So it was really studied, including scent and sound, where we also worked with, you know, went with a sound artist to trigger, uh, you know, learning uh, effectiveness for children or cooling down, getting to sleep or being inspired. So all through sound and on the materials. But the, the, the point is that there are so many materials that are unconsciously, I would say, used in the building industry when you build schools. And I'm just thinking how many children are in these schools which are all contaminated. You know, we know from asbestos in the past of Eastern countries how devastating it is for your health. Yeah. And I, you know, having been into more than just the normal medicine uh, part interested, but also into electromagnetic therapies and some amazing, you know, way of, of healing people, which is, is a whole other subject. I have also been able to test materials that I'm using in my practice, which are non-harmful. And I don't want to talk about brands, but there are some very known brands that are not very good. Mm. And um, it's, you know, it's a complicated process. No, it's true. Having grown up in the 60s and 70s, and I think of the amount of chemicals that we used and the kinds of food that we used to eat. Like my mother had five boys. And so, you know, occasionally she... You probably never had this in Europe, but she had TV dinners, you know, like that that were served in a, a tray of aluminum, you know, a folded or pressed tray of aluminum. And they were great because they were hyper convenient. And I think we substituted convenience for well-being at, at a yes. certain point, you know, and 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 it's 
uh, my wife and I were talking about this just the other day. We have so many of our friends. Like we can look left and right, front and back of our our group of friends, and one of the spouses has cancer, or one of the children has cancer, or someone has died of cancer. And I think you know, I said to her, you know, it's like all those things that we thought were so great and and signs of you know modernization and convenience seem to be coming back to roost now um, in terms of the. The number of people who are suffering suffering from these incredible diseases, either neuro, neurodegenerative diseases, Alzheimer's, dementia, et cetera, um, yeah. and or cancers of a million different variations, and it just seems to me tragic. It's absolutely true, and you know, I have this. Uh, I have been very lucky to have had this amazing doctor in Berlin. She's unfortunately now eighty nine, but who has really changed life of many people that I know, mm-hmm. and uh, who said since thirty years that one of the main reasons of all the, you know diseases you just mentioned are toxins. And I think it was 10 years ago, the Harvard Medical Journal came out in America with saying, yes, toxins are the main reason for all inflammation, for all disease in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's coming from, like I said, it's coming from this mixture. And and of course, there's always, uh, you know, something of your constitution. If your immune system is very strong, you're less affected. The moment your immune system, because of stress or whatever, is not as strong, you're more affected. So everybody has a different, you know, kind of exposure to it but in general i think my you know i I, when i always you know see what is my legacy i mean i always think about the purpose and my calling in this world and you know i i knew as a very young age that i want to be an architect and designer i really love to i mean i love to look at places i would change the house of my parents when they were away you know, I rearranged everything and <laughs> they come and, back uh, and everything's and gone. Everything. <laughs> and I, I would no, I would be worse when I would go to my, you know, with my friend, my parents to a friend's house, and I would say, "Oh my God, this is so horrible looking." And then my mother had to shut me up and say, "Listen, we're just going here for dinner," you know. And I was like constantly looking at things that I didn't like, and or what I, you know, both of them. But what I what I mean is, I think the. The two things that I see really as my mission in the world is to change the materiality of architecture and design and to make us less toxic in our surrounding, which is very much coming from materials we live in. You know, there are people who are doing it in food or in other things or cosmetics. And uh, I mean, there's like this amazing companies like Honesty Company in California by Jessica Alba, Mm -hmm. you know, which became very famous. But for me, it's like to say, I want to, you know, bring transparency on what is happening in the built environment and how we in, in design that we surround ourselves can trigger disease. And we, and, and this is where we do have a lot of knowledge and also my team because we have dedicated so much time and really talking to experts that we know how we can create places that are definitely going to support health and well-being and, and not going to, you know, just look nice, but, you know, because we, we have to think about the invisible part of our life. It's interesting. Um, this whole idea of the built environment directly influencing our sense of well-being, not not just because of the toxins that were deeply integrated into the building systems. You mentioned formaldehyde and MDF and other furniture. I mean, think of lacquers and and paints oh, yeah. and all these things, right? Lead, glues, all the glues, glues, yeah. right? All these you know, adhesives of things. Um, but also the nature of the built environment in terms of its ability through. Um, a whole area of study called neuroaesthetics uh, that the the arts of which architecture and the built environment is one of those things that we're exposed to every single day. And yet we don't 
really fully appreciate what the surrounding environment is, the built-in world that we have created around us does to our psycho-emotional sort of mind-body state. And it's, um, it's incredibly influential in how you feel, not just the colors and the shapes and those things, uh, but how the composition of those elements affect us emotionally. Uh, yes, and, absolutely. And, and as an architect, I, I think you get that, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I think there's a very big, uh, very important part that we have to consider. It's quality over quantity. I mean, when we're talking about uh, cheap materials or all these toxins, I mean, I have been, you know, uh, so many times in my life, I had a choice to come, you know, when we do big hotel projects to work with somebody in China, which was half the price from maybe like an Italian company. I would always refuse. I mean, I would literally not do the project because I know how harmful this is. And so, you know, it's the same thing when you want something extremely cheap because these glues are much cheaper. It's all, you know, you, you, that's where it starts to, you know, to, to have to get, uh, go into a shift in our thinking. It's the same with fast fashion. You know, have, I mean, I, uh, you know, I met the, the founder of EcoAlf with whom I also wanted to do a project for uniforms. I've designed kind of a, um, you know, a, a concept to, to uniforms for hotels with an eco-label uh, that is totally ecological. And um, we were discussing, it's really about having less things, but having good quality, which you know is not harmful. It's the same with fashion. It's not that you, you know, it's not that you need to have more money or less money. It's not the point. It's the point of we are living in this fast kind of, you know, pace world where it's more and more and, and you know, you don't like this t-shirt or you you just drop it and you buy something else. Think about what you, you know, what you wear. Think about what you eat. Think about what you, you know, you're living in and uh, is actually around you. This is where you have to have conscious understanding that this cheap kind of choices are threatening and definitely reducing your lifespan. I mean, I'm 100% sure about that, that if this is a, a shift in thinking, it's just we don't need more. We just need better quality. And this is where... We, we have to change our way of, of life. That reminds me again of, of Bruce Mao, about whom I spoke earlier, and he was uh, working on a project um, years ago, and, and it was in France, and um, I think someone had specced a, a Philippe Stark chair. Uh, now, Philippe Stark is a great designer, and his furniture is extraordinary. And uh, he was apparently, like the story goes, I'm going to try to uh, paraphrase here. The contractor was with him on the site, and he said, um, you know, that chair you want or that the designer wants, I can find the same ilk of chair uh, for like, you know, $100. And uh, and and Bruce Mao said, no, no, I, I don't want any ilk. There's not going to be any ilk in this project. It's going to be the real thing or it's not going to be anything. I suppose that that's the whole idea of the fast fashion world or the fast everything world that it, it can be expendable. It can be relatively inexpensive and, you, you know, wear the shoes for three months and throw them away. But I think you're right about your idea that you you have to start making conscious choices about what you believe in and that the things yes. you do are not without consequence. Yes, exactly. And, you know, I, th I think it's like, you know, everybody has their favorite sweater. Their fa it's really understanding why this is so much more important to have favorite things around you than just having a lot of things that, you know, and I'm sure that in most, you know, wardrobes, there's like 80% people don't even wear it, or they wear it once or they don't even know they have it. So this is, you know, we can't, I mean, our brain is not even able to get all this in. It's like a very superficial way of, of life, you know, yeah. and I think it's, uh, it's making choices that, it's, you know, we, we like to have nice things around us, obviously, but it's always to 
see for what price, you know, and what is the the consequences of having that. But you know, it's not such a bad idea to think about having um, having lesser or fewer things, but having just better things. Yes, if, if you need if you need to collect things, you know, this is interesting. So. This is not a, a one woman, you know, push into the world of sustainability and 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 trying to find new passions and new new products and in putting them into the marketplace, uh, in the building industry. So we we don't get to the top of Everest alone. You know, we we need Sherpa guides and a good team to get us there. Who do you rely on? Well, I really uh, rely on. I've been getting in contact, especially during the pandemic. We did this a lot with all people. I started this uh, myself. This kind of you know, um, actually interviews uh, on that I posted on LinkedIn with uh, called Impact Design Now, which is also my company, you know, that is selling the furniture and doing all the 3D printing. And it's to find people, like-minded people around the world that might come from different areas, but we are like a force together, you know, somebody from fashion, from construction, from design, from innovative materials. I interviewed so many people that have dedicated their life on inventing something amazing. And, and, and kind of a collective of bringing these people together and, you know, and, and in, in, maybe in different industries. But like you said, we're always stronger if we are together, but also to get awareness, you know, to kind of have a bigger voice out there. And this is still something I'm working on. And I have some ideas also how to get the materials uh, into a, a marketplace to, you know, to be, to make it available for the masses instead of having it just, you know, in our own library for our own projects. So I think this is another, uh, you know, aspect that we are working on to create something like that. You had, uh, now that you said this idea of the library, it reminds me that in your talk in Milan at Guest Lab, you were talking about your library. Um, and yes. you literally have a vast array of different products, yes. the things that you're sort of experimenting with. I wish this was a visual medium, but it's not. But what is that like to walk in, in that space? Oh, it's, it's fantastic. It's so inspiring that, you know, I'm just looking for the projects to apply to because we have so many materials that we can do so many projects and they will all look different, which is the nice thing. It's not just, you know, taking only and doing everything with mycelium or this or that. We have this amazing array of materials that look different that coming from, you know, recycled or from organic materials that look more a substitute for normal wood. We have a lot of reclaimed wood. We have bamboo materials. I mean, we have so many uh, materials that we found that it excites me so much that I can visualize myself already. Oh yeah, this is what I can do for my own hotel brand, which I'm working on, and for my clients when they really appreciate that we are not going to have the typical granite, the typical marble, uh, white kara marble, the normal kind of you know I don't know uh, very nice looking wood. So it's for those people and clients, and I think there are more and more that really want to. Uh, to have some distinction, because at the end of the day, as you know, in, in hospitality, a lot of projects look the same, and mm -hmm. there's almost like a status quo. And I believe there's a there's a hunger for it to, you know, to have something else, and especially the story behind, where you have something that's coming uh, from nature. Or, for example, we work with food waste for tableware. There's a few companies who are doing the most amazing tableware out of food waste. So it's wow. these people that are so interesting to work with because they're all passionate about what they've invented. Or, you know, we found a material that has, that's 50% less, uh, you know, the, uh, CO2 emission than concrete. 
and it comes from desert sand. And I mean, this is something that I've talked to a lot of people from Saudi Arabia. They don't even know that it exists. This is something that we can start promoting when we do projects in, you know, all these countries and using them. So I'm, I'm just eager to apply them uh, in, in many different projects. Well, the upside is, is that if they actually do build the line or the new development in Riyadh with that enormous cube structure, they've got lots of sand to work with. So this, yes, is, exactly. this is a good... That's the thing. The sand is in abundance, you know, over there. But, there, you know, there are so many things like made of air, which is, you know, a composition of 90% atmospheric CO2, and it's obtained through carbonization by pyrolysis and 10% uh, of plant-based binders. So there are these technologies already. There's like you're talking about nanotechnology. There are some amazing technologies that are creating new materials, which is sometimes a mixture of or you know organic materials and technology. And uh, this is where I think it's uh, it's 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 beautiful once you found it to say, okay, we don't need to take the typical material to make our projects, you know, and it can not be only hotels, it's office buildings, it's, you know, homes, any, any kind of space, you know, that we can think about. And it's very exciting because, you know, I consider myself as a, as, as my strength to be in creativity is to, to be able to do something that is creative at the same time as it's good for the environment mm -hmm. and it's good for human people. I mean, to me, that's the ultimate, you know, it's more than just, uh, you know, it's not just your ego that you can create something that's, you know, recognized globally and you win awards and all of this. No, but you, you really, I think, uh, if we can create something that has all that, but is going to be good for our life, for our health, then we have achieved beyond the, you know, the normal kind of achievements that uh, most, I think most people are. Well, it's a good thing that architects, I think, traditionally have a very good sense of uh, ego. Um, at least <laughs> most people would suggest that architects aren't ever lacking too much in the idea of ego. You're an architect, you're a designer, you're an innovator in terms of building technologies and materials. Um, you have a vision forward, you've created f furniture that's won awards. That, and that forward vision is, is looking towards the in reinvention or reuse or maybe complete discovery of something that's new. And then there's this whole group of emerging customers who go to hotels or customers who visit retail spaces or people who are coming into these new buildings or places, environments that we're, we're creating to shape the new environment. And there's a whole sort of new uh, generation of designers, you know, that are, that are emerging into this space for whom this may not be so unusual. It's kind of unusual for me, considering I went to sort of architecture in the 80s to go, what? You can do what with mycelium? But for them, it may not be so unusual because now they're, these, these technologies are evolving while they're emerging into the industry. But as someone who's at the forefront of a lot of this thinking, uh, what do you say to those people in terms of how they can use these technologies or these new understandings to, to make a difference in, in the world that they're building? Well, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I've been teaching 10 years at the hotel school in Lausanne, and I'm still teaching at the Paul Bocuse in Lyon and uh, Paris. And I've been shifting all my, you know, it was always about innovation in our hospitality and restaurant design, but I've been shifting the last years to really teach sustainability to 
the you know future hotel uh, hoteliers students whatever so uh, they've been they haven't had any idea about these materials they get so excited about it they come up with amazing ideas you know it's not and it's not it's the materials it's the sustainability it's sustainable uh, restaurant concepts so it's it's really triggering a process of uh, you know curiosity and doing the research because i kind of you know direct them where they can find research and the same thing for example i'm a mentor at the architectural department of royal college of art in london and they're also you know when i have the students and i'm overlooking their thesis projects and i'm always kind of you know trying to inspire them with looking beyond their thesis project and their whole great amazing idea i mean to be in one of the best you know schools in the world is obviously also a bit of an ego you know uh, like you were saying that you can be very proud of being part of the system but to go beyond and to see that you can you have the chance you're coming from one of the best universities in the world and you can really make a change uh, integrate that think about it mm -hmm. look for it you know so i think it's true education this is what i love about being close to the younger generation you can you know this is where you can promote a lot of these ideas and uh, beyond your team uh, and, and, you know, and the people that you know. It was interesting. I was, um, you speak about those hotel schools and I was uh, mentoring a group of students from the hotel school in The Hague uh, in the global sustainable design competition. I think it was a couple of years ago. And, and the, the competition organizers set a problem that I thought was kind of interesting. And uh, let me get your sense of this. The, the idea was the hotel of the future, let's say 2050. My first time that I heard that, I said, clearly, these students don't need any sort of coaching in, in the idea that the world is burning and global climate change is an actual real issue that we need to attend to. They were already bought into that. So all of their solutions were very much focused in how to use sustainable design practice, all these different emerging materials, and, and rethinking the hotel paradigm to be a net positive experience rather than net, you know, well, having a huge carbon footprint which we all know the building industry is responsible for. And then they said, well, this is a 2030 or 2050 sort of project. And I, my first question was, at the pace of change that we're now exposed to, things moving so quickly that it is it's hard to know really what the next thing is. And I, I said, I can hardly predict what's going to happen three years from now because, or five years from now because technology advances are going to be enormous in five years. How can we possibly project into 2050? How do we know? It seems to me almost unfathomable that we can determine what would likely be the case in 2050. So I suggested them, I said, here's, here's what you really need to do. Your strategy has to be able to take into consideration multiple possible outcomes. Well, what, mm -hmm. if, what if the polar ice caps melt? What is it, what's, mm -hmm. what's the hotel going to need to do then? What if CO2 doesn't change and we're all choking, you know, because the smog is thick everywhere in the world, not just in the major urban centers? What if, and so there's like multiple what if scenarios. But that pointed to this idea of flexibility, that their design strategy had to be flexible enough that it could accommodate a number of different outcomes, or if it went mm -hmm. this way, the hotel would be that. If it went this way, the hotel mm -hmm. would likely be that. What is your sense about the pace of change and the need for flexible thinking about how we bring projects into the world and what that likely means for architects and designers in the, in the future? Well, you know, I, I do listen a lot to scientists and um, I was listening to a podcast uh, very recently from a Danish, he was, I think, part of the Danish government, and he has a very radical view on the environment where he's kind of putting everything into 
um, and to how much does it cost us and what's the benefit of us? Hmm. And he said there are other things, you know, that are even more urgent than the than the environment. And he just said something very shocking that he said, "What you know, the Paris, um, the Paris uh, Agreement, uh, you're losing of every dollar you're putting in, you're maybe getting 20 cents back." So he said, that's not money well spent, although we all think that's where the money has to go. He's looking at the effect of it, what's coming out of it. And one of the things that, you know, it's a very long interview and uh, I have to look up the name, but it's uh, he was interviewed by Tom Bilio from Impact Theory, which I really follow. I'm also a member of his of his university club. Um, and he said that it's he thinks we should invest more into big inventions that, you know, not everything is coming out, but he was talking about like in the 50s, the catalysator for cars, where I think in LA, the, the, the air quality was so bad. And then this invention of the catalyst, sorry, I don't know. Cat catalytic it. converter. Yeah, catalytic converter. He said this was a major, uh, this was a life-changing things to the world, he said. So he's saying there is somebody else who's doing something with... Um, algaes in the sea that could, he said, we need to support some of these amazing creative people in the world and not everything will work, but that's where they should get uh, support because if somebody comes up with something compared to this invention, this will really speed up and will be well spent money. But we have to really see what is money wasted without having the effect. It's just, if we pay just for our conscience that we say, oh yeah, we have paid for it or we have done this environmental investment, but there's no, it's a, at the end of it, as you know, it's all about data. You have to have the data that will tell you where you will have to go. So I think, like you said, to think about uh, the options that we have and what is it, you know, to really think a bit uh, is, is one thing. We can't foresee completely the future. I always believe that we also can positively influence the future because if we are positive we find solutions if we are negative we are just scared and fear blocks us yeah. so it's, it's you know we have to be positive but we have to be realistic positive to look into what we can come up with that will make a difference and we have to make changes that we know we we kind of got away with but we can't anymore so like and and you know the hotels are going to be under very different pressure with carbon tax which is coming and you know i mean uh, one of the people that I don't know if you know Alexa Portier, who has the company it must be now.com, uh, where you can book on her uh, website, it's a huge, amazing initiative. Um, I mean, it's more than that, but it takes too long to explain now. But practically, it's it's about, uh, you know, upscale hotels, which all have to be certified by Earthcheck, which is, you know, the Australian very known kind of uh, certification similar to Leeds or Bream. Uh, and um, She's she's now working with uh, you know a Dutch pension fund to help hotels to get this uh, you know from when they start uh, working on a hotel project to get somebody like Earthcheck do the certification work with the hotel to make them sustainable and also in operation. I mean we are doing the same you know from we have tried to educate ourselves my team getting people in that we can now help hotels to understand the journey. What can you do when you're an existing hotel and you only want to renovate? You can't do it the best, but what can you do? Because they don't know. Mm -hmm. And how can we, can you do it in terms of construction and in operation? This is the two things that you really have to know. And then the next thing that comes in is AI because AI can speed that up and can be like the most amazing efficient tool you can have for the whole sustainability process. So 
we started uh, workshops now for hotels uh, and brands to help them to become sustainable through really innovation and 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 also pragmatic you know pragmatic solutions to how can you what can you do when you want to renovate what can you do when you start a new one so we have i think the hotels by themselves are overwhelmed and that's always when you're overwhelmed and you know you have to do your daily operation you have so many other kind of things that's why i feel that in our profession it's a duty to be in to be there and help our clients not just about uh, creating beautiful places but helping them what is the journey to become sustainable what are the steps they can do because they don't know and this is where i think it's about you know filling the gap in education and kind of helping you know being a helping hand to them i was going to say that I, there's in my mind there's no lack of solutions you know we, we no. created this problem we can fix this problem we're smart enough to do it there is a lack sometimes of willingness um yes. there is a lack of education uh but I, I do think that there are pockets and and there's always there are people in our midst right who who are who have the insight who have the passion who have the future forward vision and that idea of transformative leaders who who see this and that's that's for me uh, always been a bit of the challenge is um people you mentioned status quo earlier in our conversation is getting people beyond the status quo getting them beyond their fear getting them beyond their discomfort to go with the what if scenario uh, mm -hmm. and, and know that it, it's okay that they don't know the answer and that getting there will be tough yes. um, and maybe not yield the results but along that path they may just discover something that they never anticipated which changes the world over here it's kind of like you know exactly. a butterfly flaps its wings in the one side of the world, then there's a tsunami on the other side of the world. There's something that's going to happen. Um, and, and I think that's the value of the kinds of things that you're doing. If you had to give one message um, about what you really believe uh, is your hope for your work in the world, what, what would that be? Well, I, you know, I hope that uh, the kind of, you know, recognition of what we are wanting to do, I mean, like, for example, just as an, uh, on a site, uh, you know, uh, thought, Getting funding for these projects in Venice has been extremely difficult. And, you know, we thought, I thought, you know, we go to all the head of sustainability from all the banks, from all the insurance companies who have big budgets. They all say, Oh, yeah, interesting, super, but you, commitment zero point zero, you know, like, so I think it's to, to walk your talk. You know, that's the, you know, that's the most important. And, and, you know, having solutions and knowledge, like you said, is of no value if we don't apply it. I mean, knowledge by itself is great, but it's the action that is the most important, you know, as you know, as everything in life. I mean, you can have all your dreams and all your ideas, but until the moment you are taking step by step, and it's not, you, we, we will not be perfect. We will not solve everything in, in a few years or decades, but we have to start. It's like the Chinese CIA, you know, uh, the journey starts with uh, the first step. Uh, of a thousand, you know, of a thousand steps. So you have to start and you should not waste the time. You shouldn't, I mean, we know what uh, has gone wrong in the world. We already all know it. So we collectively have to do something. And I think it's from every profession. So we have, it has to start in education with children. So the school's nursery is like, it's where, you know, sustainability has to be taught as a subject in uh, from nursery to throughout your life. And I think this is where it, it, it can only make a change if collectively we all understand that we have, 
to do something and we can only make change you know if we if we take our efforts together and i think this is the importance is that i think in the design and architecture industry i've been sitting in a few recently to be honest in few panels and i was a bit shocked when you know uh, one of the uh, kind of um, moderators asked some 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 representative of some very big brands in design uh, what are you doing what are the materials you're using and the, the answers were well we are not really yet there we don't have yet all those materials that we can use to replace and that's not true so this is the big advantage of of our of the younger generations that they have these tools that are speeding up information You'd, it's not so difficult anymore to find out, but you have to dedicate your time. You have to understand the urgency in doing so, and you have to be committed to do it. And it's not just like about shortcutting ways or, you know, this is going to take me too much time. I'm focused. No, no. This is the time very good invested. Mm. We all have to invest time into our future. And this, the future starts now. Yeah. If not us, who? And if not now, yes. when? Or if yes, not, absolutely. yeah, uh, that's that's the questions I think that we have to keep asking all the time. Well, absolutely. I'm I am glad that we got to connect in Milan at Guest Lab after I guess corresponding by emails and and Zoom calls um, in in previous years before the pandemic it seemed like a long wait for two or three or it maybe does. even four years. Yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. and I'm I'm really glad, Yasmin, that you could take this time to talk to us. I think the whole subject of new building practice and sustainable design and and a future forward view. Of, of the world that we could create nature in mind rather than as an afterthought uh, is super, super interesting. So thank you for sharing um, your expertise and, and uh, the work that you do. Thank you very much. Thanks very much for giving me the voice here. And uh, yeah, I hope um, we can both, you know, change something in, in our little, you know, uh, kind of uh, environment we are living in. It just it starts with small gestures lead into, you know, potentially big movements. So I'm on board. Well, thanks so much. It's, it's fantastic you're doing this podcast. I think it's a great initiative. And yeah, very much looking forward to see you also next time, maybe again in Milan or somewhere else. I am looking forward to Salone next year. So let's make sure we, yes. we take another rooftop Prosecco together. That's, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> Next Level Experience Design Podcast is presented by VMSD Magazine and Smart Work Media. It's hosted and executive produced by me, David Kepron. Our original music and audio production by Kano Sound. Make sure to tune in for Dialogues on Data, Design, Architecture, Technology, and the Arts wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And make sure to visit vmsd.com and look for the tab for the podcast there too. Also, remember you'll always find more information with links to content that we've discussed, contact information for our guests, and more in the show notes for each episode.